Hello, Sam. How are you doing? I'm good, Lewis. Very happy to be back. Well, this is the thing, Sam. I've had to bring you back to the podcast. And in the spirit of The Witcher 3, it's a free update of additional content uh, following the end of the game. Because in the interim period between me finishing the podcast that we recorded and me recording this now, I did actually manage to finish The Witcher 3. So you uh, kept playing the game after you'd done the podcast then? I did. I felt I was so close to the end, I felt I owed it to both you and the listener to actually follow through and go, you know what, for me to back out, having put so much time in, it seems such a shame not to be able to get to the end. And also to, to you know fully embrace a lot of the criticisms that you sort of levelled against me about, like, well, I think these themes emerge later, I think this idea emerges later. So I thought, you know what, I will finish The Witcher 3, and I'll find out what happens. And so we're here now. We are now about to do the bonus downloadable content uh, discussion of The Witcher 3 on this podcast. I'm going to level with everyone listening right now. There is no change in verdict. There is nothing that's going to happen in this podcast that, that alters anything I felt like I said in the previous one. But Sam, I feel like I, I went very hard. <laughs> I went very hard on the podcast we did together. So part of this is me coming back and going, you know what? There's one or two other things that I think I didn't, I was unfair about, maybe. I will just jump in before we get properly into it. You didn't do this for Sniper Elite 4. I didn't. I didn't do this for Sniper Elite 4. But Sniper Elite 4 has since been usurped. Currently, the, st- the standard you were against was Return of the Obra Dinn. Oh, okay, because when, when I listened to the podcast or when we did the podcast it made it sound like i'd come last like i'd lost to sniper elite 4 and while i will accept losing to return of the Oberdin, a game i hear is pretty good i will not accept losing to sniper elite 4 <laughs> that feels like an insult to the witcher 3 i should make this clear this is an ongoing contest this uh this this podcast it is trying to find what was the best video game i haven't played it will also reset probably uh between seasons as well um but no, I'm afraid I'm afraid the game you were up against was Return of the Obra Dinn. If the people listening want an arbitrary list right now of me ranking all of the video games that I've already played in order of how much I enjoyed them, that list will be an end of year feature. You're gonna wait for that. I'm still hoping for second. Well we'll see. You've got a lot you got a lot coming up. You've got a lot to, to, to play up against. So let's have a look at the things that I want to talk about. So what are the things you listed in this podcast? Oh, I should also say full spoilers. Full spoilers now, we're going to discuss every aspect of the plot, we're not going to skimp on detail, we're not going to skimp on any element of um, good endings, bad endings, etc. Also, spoilers for the Witcher books, potentially. I did get in a fight with a friend once discussing the Witcher games and accidentally spoiled something in the Witcher books, and I don't want to make that mistake again. So, um... <laughs> You can make that mistake with me, I'm not going to read the books. Um, I already told you how it ends with Siri going off with Sir Galahad. Yes, which I found very entertaining. So look, let's address this. Let's address this straight up. One of the things you said in the podcast when we first recorded was this game is a game about fatherhood and there are themes of fatherhood in this game. And having now finished it, I agree fatherhood is a theme in this video game. But it is a very absent one until that final uh, act when you actually get Siri back. I would argue it is alluded to, or at least commented on through the rest of the game, the Bloody Baron, uh, your your favourite character, is a terrible father. We also have the Uncrates in Skellig, and that's very much a story about the relationship between uh, Krach and his children. So I would mm-hmm. argue, I would argue the game kind of 
builds up towards it. You could also argue the crones have a sort of, not fatherhood, but a parenthood, pseudo-terrible parenthood relationship with the children they've kidnapped slash been gifted. I would point out that the crones don't look after the children, though. They get someone in to look after the children. No, no. And again, but again, there is that sort of that caregiver, adopted caregiver relationship there. So I don't think the theme comes out of nowhere, but I, I do think it becomes a lot more explicit towards the end of the game and in its second half. I, I think there are definitely stories about parentage and fatherhood and uh, the way people treat their children throughout the game. But I would also say, again, to, to call it a theme, I think, requires a stronger through line. And there is an entire section of this game that doesn't have it, which is Novigrad. Uh, where there is, there's no consistent through line of the theme of parenting in it. And also, even if we were to discuss this idea of there is a theme of fatherhood, there is a theme of parenting in this, I don't really know what it has to say about it. I don't really know what the overriding, like point that the witcher 3 has to make about parents other than some parents are good and some parents are bad i mean some parents are good and some parents are bad yes obviously but i think that don't you think that given that there is a quote-unquote bad ending an ending where siri dies if you parent her in a certain way versus an ending where she she lives if you provide a more positive experience doesn't that maybe give a hint that it's saying don't smother your children. But the smothering of children, apart from the literal smothering of children by the crones, is not a persistent theme in this story. In fact, the Bloody Baron, the main thing the Bloody Baron has to learn to do is uh, almost like, is basically learn to completely let go of his child in the sense that he was never there for them until they left and then they wanted them there. So he was actually a neglectful father. He had he had to learn the opposite lesson that because he wasn't there for his daughter, he lost her. I, I so okay, he wasn't there emotionally, maybe, but he definitely he locked her in a tower. Essentially, he kept her he kept her in that castle where there were no other children around. I think that's kind of smothering. He kind of possessed her. No, no, no. no. I, I I think I think you've confused what the Bloody Baron storyline was. He is constantly away at war. The whole storyline with the Bloody Baron is he is not there. And then when he is there, he's a drunken, abusive father. And then he goes away again. Primarily, the storyline with the Bloody Baron is that the only reason he wants to possess his daughter is because she represents a link to the wife who he lost to someone else, essentially. So the point of the Bloody Baron is he was an absent father. And as a result, he lost his tangible connection to his child. Whereas what's going on... And I can see there's this obviously this idea of that puts a bit of a fear into Geralt. You've also got... Siri's own actual biological father wants possession of Siri and wants to control her. So there's a link into that as well. But he's a re- like, maybe he's more fleshed out in the books. Maybe he's more fleshed out in previous games. He's a very absent character. He he turns up to give you a quest. Uh, he turns up in the middle to scold you for not being better at the quest, and then he turns up at the end for the sake of framing the ending. So again, I think if you're trying to tie this idea of there's a theme of parenthood and fatherhood. There's there's no strong, consistent, thematic link between all these stories, except the idea that there are parents in them. I would argue, I would argue that there is a kind of through line. I do not think it's perfect. To put that out there, I do not think it's perfect. And like a lot of big games, like a lot of big RPGs, even though 
as I've said in the first session of the podcast, whether Witcher 3 is an RPG is, mm, I don't know, could go either way. But a lot of big RPGs, a lot of big quest-driven games do have these big diversions, not just for side quests, but you mentioned the episodic nature of the game, mm-hmm. uh, especially in its first act, and it goes off on divergence. I think that Witcher 3 has a stronger through line. I do think that with Amir, like you said, with the Baron, with certain other characters, you do have that kind of ideas of this is an example of a good father, this is an example of a bad father, Geralt should lead towards what Witcher 3 considers a good father. It's not perfect as far as its theming goes, it's not totally consistent. This isn't Uncharted 4, which has some of the best theming I've ever seen in a video game, but I think it does a pretty good job. I think if you're looking for a video game about fatherhood that centres around Western or Northern European mythology, it's God of War. God of War is the game that absolutely perfected that, to my mind at least. If you want to talk about thematics in a video game, that is one of the most thematically consistent video games I've ever played. And I feel like when you're telling me, oh, Witcher 3 has this strong theme of fatherhood, and I have to sit there and go, oh, I suppose that links to that and that links to that. And there's sort of a general idea of it. Whereas God of War, you can sit down and immediately say, this is the story of a father bonding with his son. And it's unquestionable. Like the the way that game is designed around that theme is apparent. Whereas I feel like the 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 elements that they tied in with Siri. So basically being a good or bad dad to Siri determines good or bad ending. And I know that there was this, we discussed last time, we sort of, we brought up Mass Effect, because Mass Effect, I think, has become the video game, like, archetype for choice in video games. Oh yeah, and I I think it's a bad example, even though I don't think it's the worst example. Do you mind if I briefly touch on God of War? I just want to quickly finish this point, and then we can can dump back to God of War. Um, The decision-making that you do in The Witcher 3 is no more complicated than the decision-making you make in Mass Effect. The only difference is is they don't label the choices with a colour. Like, there are the good and bad options are, to me, obviously good and bad, and the good and bad options are also filling meters that determine which ending you get. Like, as far as I could see from the way that the ending plays out, there are... There are essentially three or possibly four things that can change in the ending. One of which is Siri, which is a main quest element that you're not going to escape. And then the other three are side quest elements. And these side quest elements aren't but aren't subtle decision-making choices. The three side quest elements are, did you finish the side quest? So what I feel like I'm getting with the ending of The Witcher 3 is not, ah, my consequences play out in such a way. But I'm more getting a... Here is your percentage completion. Here's how well you did. Sorry, I just had felt like you spent quite a long time, so I've made notes about the different <laughs> things I need to respond to, like I'm on fucking question time. Um, okay, first, circling back to, to God of War. God of War, and I assume we're talking about the PS4 version, or God of Four, as it should obviously be called. Yes. Yes, that is a game that has a stronger thematic through line I wouldn't hold it up as, like, the number one, but I do think it has a stronger thematic through line. But even though God of War mm, allegedly is open world, I don't really think it is. It's open world, and its side quests are certainly a much smaller part of that experience, if they're even arguably there. And I think think you almost have a trade-off between 
strong theming and a strong central narrative and having that more open world structure with well, what, side quests. What about... Arguably, the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. What about God of War is not as open world as Witcher 3? I felt when I was playing God of War that it was much more focused on keeping to its main story. I did not feel like God of War put a huge amount of time... It put a lot of time into its lore, but I don't think Mm -hmm. it put a lot of time into its world building. It wasn't showing you a society. It had this one temple in the middle, the lake, the world serpent, explain the mythology, but all the humans are dead, so it didn't really have like a political or social system it wanted to show us, which I'm not saying is a worse choice, but I'm saying is a different choice. Yes, I agree, that is a different choice, yeah. So the thing is, with The Witcher 3, they're trying to create a a more um, lived-in world rather than a, a world that's almost designed for the purpose of being a video game. Exactly, and I, I think it's more of a you're interacting with more parts of the society because there are more parts of the society and the developers have chosen to take the story in a direction that allows you to see more of that. Also, from what I recall of God of War's side quests is that there were few, a fewer of them. And there's there's B, certainly less than in The Witcher 3. Yeah, there's certainly less than in The Witcher 3. And B, I remember each side quest in God of War being a lot shorter. It, some of them are longer... Some of them are longer, some of them do have extended storylines, but there's certainly fewer of them than The Witcher 3, uh, and they're definitely more focused on a very specific... Like, you're finding a treasure. And I, I, I am not saying that it's as linear as this, but I remember my time in God of War being much more similar to the, my time playing a game like an Uncharted than a game like a Witcher 3 or a Horizon Zero Dawn or Red Dead Redemption 2. I think that's a different style of game and allows you a lot less focus for the trade-off of more player freedom and more opportunities to explore a world and a society okay well we've gotten wildly off track we now. have We're critiquing off god track. of war can i can i get back to the the moral choice system yes i remember i have i've had to make a list of points yeah. No, I don't think that mechanically Witcher 3's moral choice system is more advanced than, say, a um, a Mass Effect or just, just to bring in something else like the Infamous games. I don't think it's mechanically any more advanced than those. But I think it asks you a different question and a question that different people can have different answers to. For example, if you're playing a Mass Effect or an Infamous, your choices are to be a goody two-shoes or a genocidal maniac. That's not really a choice. Most people are going to pick genocide. (laughs) Freudian slip sound there. (laughs) Most people are going to pick goody two-shoes of those two options. Between Gandhi and Hitler, nine times out of ten, unless you're a Reddit edgelord, you're picking Gandhi. But The Witcher 3's style of, essentially, do you allow a child additional freedom? Do you give them confidence? Or do you try to sort of meddle in their lives? Is something that I I believe that we both picked 
the same options or most of the I'll same I'll be honest, options. Sam, you gave away in the podcast how I get the good ending, so that's just what I did. I know. I I I basically <laughs> ruined it for you because I wasn't sure you were going to go ahead and I did need to talk <laughs> about this on a podcast about Witcher 3. But I do know people who've played this game and have picked the other option. It's not like a Skyrim choice where unless you're mad, you go with the Stormcloaks. I do know people who have picked the try and get involved in series life because they thought they were protecting mm. her and they thought that's what they were meant to do and have picked that option. I'm much more interested in a game that offers me a question that different people might have a different answer to. And speaking about the the things in the side quests, the the other choices you get that affect the ending of the game. A quest I don't think you did. Did you do Reason of State? The Reason no, of State I don't, quest. I don't recall it. Okay, um, I understand because it's one you have to look for in the first act and is quite in-depth and I know you were rushing through essentially to get as much done, which is cool. Yeah, if it wasn't a main quest or a Witcher contract, I probably didn't do it. Okay, well, Reason of State is the quest where you essentially get to choose the fate of the North and how the war ends. Yes, that pops up in the ending, yeah. you assume... You assume that as Gerald is a northerner, although I do think it's kind of debatable whether the North or the Empire are right, you do get to uh, have some influence on this, and the game kind of goes along assuming that a free Temeria is the obvious choice. It's the one Gerald, as a northerner, is going to pick. However, at the end of Reason of State... Uh, Dijkstra, one of the mob bosses from Novigrad, who's been sort of masterminding the way to get us to a freedom area, comes across and basically says, hey, I know how to make the North win the war, but that involves me basically uh, taking over, which is kind of not terrible. He's not an awful person. He was my least favourite character in the game. Okay, but it also involves him murdering your friends. Ah. So do you choose Trolley problem. the the option yeah, do you choose the option that gets you maybe the better political outcome, the one it assumes Gerald is gonna want, but the one that also involves kind of betraying your friends. Mm. And again, this is a choice I know people have had arguments over with both sides being to them quote unquote the obvious choice. And I'm not saying that mechanically Witcher 3's choice is deeper, has more moving parts to it, but what I'm saying is that philosophically and story-wise it is deeper, and I would prefer a game that offered me an actual choice rather than a false choice of do I be Gandhi or I mean, that is interesting. That is interesting. I mean, primarily that's interesting to me because if you play through the main quest the game at no point presents you with any sort of similar decision. Like, the the game's choice system is largely superficial in terms of the main quest. I, I think outside of whether or not, as you say, you helicopter parent Siri or not, I don't think anything you do in the main quest can change that ending. The, the choices of how you interact with Siri are in the main quest, though. Sure, but what I'm saying is when you're talking about like this interesting dilemma that you've been presented with the, the personal versus the political... 
that's not in the main story. That's in a side quest that you have to go and do elsewhere. This is sort of what I'm talking about when I'm saying that I feel like the ending of The Witcher 3 feels more like a percentage completion screen than anything else. It's more. It feels more like, here are the quests you didn't do. And I understand that within those quests there are choices, but this idea that The Witcher 3 certainly makes this thing... It, it, it drops hints in its loading screens going, decisions you make may have long-term repercussions. And unless you engage with the side quests, not really. I do think Witcher 3 puts a lot of its best content in the side quests, and side quests are a lot more important in Witcher 3 than they are in certain other games. I'm actually struggling, honestly, to think of another open-world game that puts as much weight in its side quests. I can tell you what it is. I can tell you... I can tell you which video game put this much weight into its side quests. I'm... It's Mass Effect 2. Mass Effect 2 was the last video game I can think of. And probably Mass Effect 3 as well. For Though probably not because Mass Effect 3's ending is uh, less dependent on the decisions you make in the game. But the Mass Effect 2, particularly the Mass Effect 2 suicide mission, absolutely is this level of you have to go and do side quests. You have to go and make decisions in those side quests. The decisions you make in those side quests affect which ending. No, 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 you, no, you're right. I think Mass Effect 2 is the last game that tried to do something like this. But I think it is rare. And I also think, I also think it's a choice. And we can argue whether it's a good choice. And I think for someone like me, who was playing Witcher 3 leisurely, who was trying to get as much out of the game as he possibly could... It was it was a good choice. It made me feel like the side quests were more impactful, and I had a lot more fun playing The Witcher 3 side quests than I had in side quests in a lot of similar games. Whereas for someone like you, who was... And you know what? I do not forgive the developers for not developing their game for <laughs> people playing for it for a podcast, but for someone who was trying to hit story end as quickly as possible to record a show the structure falls down but it's also like if you know it's on it's not unrealistic for me to review the witcher 3 because the main quest is what the game tells you to do no 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 that's not unfair it's not unfair at all okay uh just to address two other quick things that i just thought were fun fun things i noticed while i was Mm. playing it uh one of which was uh i had a really fun time fighting the final boss of this game largely because i figured out an internal system in the game where you could use the shield spell to turn attacks against you into healing you and i had a really fun time fighting this final boss who every time he tried to hurt me healed me instead and i was like this is hilarious i'm loving this uh and that sounds like a criticism it's not i genuinely had a great time i really enjoyed the final boss in this game because i really engaged with the gameplay mechanics so that was really fun for me um and the last one is a legit criticism that i have about this game that i only realized once i beat it oh and it's particularly because, Sam, you are currently playing a different video game. I am. And it made me it made me think of something that's in that game that's not in this game. Unless I'm mistaken, and I can't think of an instance where this was the case, the main quest of this story doesn't have a single puzzle in it. There's actually no moment in this game where I have to do anything other than fight something, talk to someone, or use the Witcher senses to find a red thing. I don't think there was ever a moment in this game where I had to use the environment or my powers to solve a puzzle. I don't remember there being puzzles in this game, no. Which surprised me. Which, when I looked back on it, because there was one instance where it threatened a puzzle, and then I realised, no, you just need to pull every lever in this room once. Um, 
And I was like, oh, this is a, a third-person action RPG game that doesn't have any puzzles in it. As, as someone who is often more frustrated than entertained by puzzles in video games, I didn't see this as a huge problem. I will say there are puzzles in the DLC, but I'm saying that more so we don't get added rather than this being a defense <laughs> of the game. This is a review of Witcher 3, the main game, not Hearts of Stone or Blood and Wine. But I know there are puzzles in those expansions because I have played them, but they're not sure, in the, sure. this game. Yeah. So here's my question, Sam, for you now. If The Witcher 3 didn't have any combat in it, would you like it any less? Yes. Yes, I would. Okay. I do think that the combat, while not its sole mechanic, is the core of its mechanic. And no, I do not think a game that was solely running around large maps to find the next person to talk to would hold my attention particularly (laughs) well. Because I feel like this is a criticism I read a lot about The Witcher 3, which I actually found I disagreed with. I, actually, I, I think the thing I like most about the game is the combat. The thing I enjoyed most about this game was going and killing large monsters. Mm. But I think there is a point to be made that the thing that people seem to really love about The Witcher 3 is the story and is the, uh, the world building and the world, like, I can't think what the word for it now is, the, the, the presence that you have in the world, the immersion in the world that you have. And lots of people critique the combat. One of the things I was frequently told throughout playing this game was I was told, if you get stuck, just drop the difficulty. Don't worry about it. Don't think that the combat is the reason that people are playing this video game. So I have to wonder if in a lot of ways, the combat is more of a Trojan horse into making people go, oh, well, that's an action video game and I like those, so I'll go and play an action video game. But it's a way to get them into what is ultimately more... A, I keep using the phrase telltale game, which isn't necessarily, the, uh, which has a certain element of um, pejorativeness. Are you going to say Witcher Three is a visual novel? Mm, uh, yeah, a choose-your-own-adventure game. I, I can sort of, I can see where, I can see how you ended up at that conclusion. Uh, do you mind if I briefly address the combat thing? Because this is this is a this is a criticism I have of sort of video game criticism at this moment in general. I mm. think that, and we, we've had this conversation in private before. You know that I am not a fan of the Soulsborne games or Soulsborne-like games, and I sure. think they're kind of. I don't want to say a craze at the moment, but I, I do think they're very much in <laughs> vogue in a lot of video game discourse. And I do feel that quite often when critiquing video games, and unfortunately, probably for a lot of people who would play Witcher 3, not having Dark Souls combat is a criticism. And I like the system in Witcher 3, but it isn't a Dark Souls system. There are lots of video game combat systems that I can list that aren't Soulsborne that I like. I have my own issues with Soulsborne-type video games, uh... I think the only one I've legitimately properly enjoyed was Bloodborne. 
um, which I really do actually quite like, though I am too scared to finish. Oh, please, please don't think I'm accusing you of being sort of the person on Reddit who sits there and goes, this doesn't have Soulsborne combat, therefore it's rubbish. But I do think there's a lot of people who talk like that and would probably write articles about The Witcher 3 criticising it in those terms. I think there's two things to bear in mind when that criticism is levied, which is the first of which is that The Witcher 3 came out in 2015, and at that stage... I think only Dark Souls 1 and 2 existed. Dark Souls 1 had come out and been a cult hit. Dark Souls 2 had come out and been a disappointing follow-up that a lot of people didn't like. So you, you're you in a stage where Dark Souls is still a culty game. And it's certainly the case that The Witcher 3 was in development before Dark Souls became a huge phenomenon. Although Witcher 2 did try to copy Dark Souls Combat and did it badly. <laughs> well, arguably, there's a whole thing there about, you know, did they copy Dark Souls Combat? Did they copy it from somewhere else? Are they? Was it one of those moments? Is it an Armageddon Deep Impact moment where they're sort of trying to go for the same idea? I'm pretty sure they copied it, but. <laughs> <laughs> but the point the point stands. Uh, at the stage The Witcher Three came out, certainly no one was expecting it to have Dark Souls combat. Um, but also, there are a lot of combat systems that exist prior to The Witcher Three's existence that I would say are significantly better than The Witcher Three's combat. And it's more the case that you're looking at a game that, as you say, I feel like I don't feel like combat was a complete depriority. Like, the complete depriorities in this game are things like they they don't try and make this game the most cutting-edge, best-looking game of its time. And you you can tell that because the games that do release the same year as it, there are better-looking games. So they clearly made a choice of, we're going for scale rather than detail. Um, but there are definitely combat systems that exist prior to this game that are better that, than this game in terms of the type of combat that it's trying to achieve. So I think it's fair to criticise it to say the combat in The Witcher 3 is not as good as its peers. But I think it would be wrong to say the combat in The Witcher 3 is a detriment to the game. I think, if anything, it comes out as neutral to good. I, I like the combat system in Witcher 3. There's, it's not my favourite combat system, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't rank it low in terms of combat systems. But going back to the thing of whether The Witcher 3 is a visual novel... I honestly, I think video games have balance or need balance. And to to take a game that isn't The Witcher 3 for a second and a game that I'm talking about quite a lot because I, I finished it recently, as said in the earlier portion of this podcast, I finished Red Dead Redemption 2 recently. I I think the combat in Red Dead 2 is pretty good. Maybe... A 6 pushing 7 out of 10. But I also think it has a really great story with, again, great world, great characters. And I played it for that. But I also don't think that a game of that scale would have held my attention without gameplay. And while you may be, quote, playing a game like this more for the story, I think... Maybe even to justify telling a story on that scale, you do need core mechanics that are at least a little bit fun. And I think the best video games out there, certainly the ones that have stuck with me the most, are the ones that have maybe not done either perfectly, but have done both pretty good. I would rather play a game (laughs) that had 8 out of 10 story an 8 out of 10 mechanics than one that said had a 2 out of 10 story and 10 out of 10 mechanics, or the other way around. I honestly think I would find one that did both 8 out of 10 better than one that was all one way or all the other. 
to me, those are the games that stick with me. That's quite interesting to me because I would say I'm I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to my priorities. I would rather have a game with no story and perfect gameplay or an absolutely fantastic story and like the gameplay that serves that story. Uh, like, for example, I adore uh, Mario games. Mario games don't really have much of a story. Certainly they're not the priority, but they are mechanically some of the best video games ever made. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, I've recently played Gone Home again. Gone Home, in terms of gameplay, is minimalistic. It has almost little to no gameplay. It's mostly investigation-based, and it's mostly like exploring an environment. But I think the story in that game is exceptional. And and uh, out of this, like, leagues above most video games in terms of emotionality and in terms of, like, realism in terms of storytelling. And I think you're right in saying The Witcher 3 is kind of this game that straddles. It's got some pretty good gameplay mechanics, and it's got a pretty good story. And I found myself in a situation where I leaned towards the gameplay and was like, oh, I quite I quite like fighting big monsters. And the game kept going, come over here and talk to this dwarf. And I'm going, but I miss the I miss the killing the big monsters thing. That was the bit I was enjoying. That dwarf is pretty great though. He's alright, he's fun. Um but the point but the point I'm more trying to make is I think scale I think for you, scale was the appeal. And for me, scale was the detriment. And so in a way, you were kind of doomed from the start with this video game. Because either I was going to fall in love with the characters, and I sadly I didn't. I didn't fall in love with the characters in the world of this game. Because it's not my wheelhouse. It's not what I want from a story. And then the gameplay mechanics that have been constantly the derision of this video game, historically from a critical perspective was the thing I wanted to do more. And the game felt kind of like, kept pulling me away from it and going, no, 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 that's the necessary thing to make this game work. But you you really want to talk to this guy. I, I want to do both. And I think that my issue with playing games, especially a long game, for a shorter game, for an indie game, it's less important. But if I'm playing what I would say, maybe incorrectly call a full-length video game, I need to care. Thanks for coming back on for this bit of bonus DLC, Sam. Uh, I will say I'm I'm glad I played The Witcher 3. I'm glad I finished it. Uh, it's now been moved to the external hard drive uh, where it will almost certainly be ceremonially deleted um, so I can probably install the PS5 version when that comes out. I take that as a win. Yeah, I think I think certainly I came into this expecting the reason that I expected to not finish The Witcher 3 on the basis that I got bored or frustrated with the gameplay mechanics. And the fact that I made it all the way to the end and my main criticisms more lie in, God, what a long game that <laughs> that's main challenge was just how long can I keep talking to this person? <laughs> I never got stuck. I thought I'd get stuck. I never got stuck. Um, thanks again for coming on, Sam. Uh, do you want to do the plugging for your podcast while you're here? Because I've obviously done the plugging on your podcast, but you're here now. So let's hear from you. What, what What's going on with uh, with your shows? Well, uh, Lewis, I am the host of Infinite Deer, a Dungeons & Dragons podcast, which is a improvised comedy D&D show. We have two and a half seasons currently available to listen to right now. They're very, very funny, and I recommend you go listen to them, listeners. Uh, I'm also mainly a writer, and I'm currently in the process of making a show called Duologues, which is going to be a series of ten short comic plays. We debuted one of them recently at the Space Online Festival, 
where it was reviewed very favourably and actually nominated for an award. So uh, please, we haven't got the podcast feed up yet that I know of, but uh, please follow us on Twitter at Dualogs and uh, get updates about when the show's coming out there. Brilliant. Sounds fantastic, Sam. Uh, thanks very much for coming back, and we'll hopefully see you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.